You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor Gare Jones. Well, this morning we're kicking off a new series. A new series looking at one of the books of the Old Testament. Now, I don't know about you, but I, for many years, I just got to be really honest with you, I didn't like the Old Testament. You know, I really struggled with it. It was, I grew up in the church, I grew up a follower of Jesus, but I really struggled with the Old Testament. You know, I'd start every January trying to read through it and I'd, I'd get to Leviticus and I'd go, you got to be kidding me. And I'd just fast forward to Matthew's gospel, right? And it was confusing. I didn't know how it related to me. It felt mysterious. It felt awkward. It felt strange. I didn't know how it meshed with the message of Jesus. Sometimes it seemed opposite to the message of Jesus. What are all these wars around, about? And, and I would just quickly skip over it until I went to seminary, when I went to learn to be a pastor, went to pastor school, where I learned to be a pastor. Um, I did actually go. You're looking at me, really? You went? Uh, and I did actually go. And it was there with one of my Old Testament lecturers that he brought me into the beauty of the Old Testament. He brought me into the significance of it, the amazement of it, this wonderfully crafted, inspired library of 39 different books, all cohesively working together to weave this story of God in the world and leading and pointing to Jesus. It was why I've never seen this before. I'd always been misreading it. I'd always been confused by it. I'd always been bemused what was going on. And it was in that moment I fell in love with the Old Testament. And my heart is that for you as well. I think there's a crisis right now around the Old Testament. And I'm, I had tough questions about it. And I'm a man of science and I had a tough intellectual questions about the Old Testament. And, but what I found was something that was something beautiful. And in fact, of course, I'm not surprised because ultimately... This is the Bible of Jesus. And Jesus loved the Old Testament. He quoted it. He probably had memorized the whole thing as a rabbi in the first century. And half, well, I don't know, but most of his teaching is referring back to something in the Old Testament. He was in love with it, and I, I want us to go on a journey together. So what, does it, what does it look like for us to fall in love with the Old Testament? to have the lens corrected of how we read it and how we see God weaving his redemptive story through it. And I realized at kind of pastor school that the Old and New Testament really work together and one without the other is incomplete. We could see how the Old Testament points towards Jesus, that it's one unified story with these wonderful themes of redemption and grace and sin and who God is. And they're all woven together, these 39 different books with over, way over 40 different authors, but telling this wonderful united story that points towards Jesus. And if you don't know the Old Testament, you're in the New Testament going, I don't know what all these references are, are about because they're referring back to the Old Testament. 
is one unified story pointing to Jesus. And so it's kind of like a movie where you're late for the movie, uh, but maybe like your family isn't and they, they go in and that's my story of my life. I'm kind of catching up with my family. Uh, they're in and watching the movie. And sometimes we read the Bible like we arrive halfway through the story and we think that's okay. But of course, you know, if you arrive halfway through a movie, basically I'm sitting next to my wife, annoying her, going, hey, who's that? What, what's going on? Is that person like the villain? Or, and it's just like, oh, just arrive on time next time, right? Although my wife's much more gracious than that. You know, but you can, we can read the Old Testament, we can read the New Testament like that, we can feel we don't need it, and yet so much of the New Testament makes sense when we understand, oh, this is the culmination of a beautiful story culminating in Jesus. We read it pointing toward Jesus. But of course, we not only read it one way toward Jesus, but we read it backwards from Jesus. Luke, in Luke's gospel, Jesus helps us with a little tip of how to read the Old Testament where he, he says to a few people, look, when you read the scriptures, hey, kind of now you know me, you kind of see how it all points towards me. And all those things in the Old Testament you didn't understand there now make sense. And one way we read the Bible backwards from, backwards from Jesus. And it makes sense then of the Old Testament. It's kind of like another type of movie. When you go to a great detective movie like an Agatha Christie, Hercule Poirot, Death on the Nile or whatever it may be. And this story's going on and at the very end you see this great detective kind of reveal who the murderer is. And then people go, well, how did you know? What were the clues? And then he starts to go through. Well, did you notice? Way back when. And starts to go through all the clues. And you watch the movie again. And then you can see, oh my word, I can see it. It's all pointing to the murderer. And in effect, Jesus is saying, once you know who I am, you can reread the Old Testament. And you go, oh my word, I can now see it. It's all pointing. This now makes sense. And it's pointing to Jesus. The Old Testament need not be this mysterious, confusing, let's just ignore it and get to Matthew's gospel. In fact, I think I'd like to invite us into a journey of going, what would it look like for us to find the beauty in it as Jesus did? Now, that's why we're going to begin the new year looking at one of the books of the Old Testament for the next six weeks. And because... I'm the way I am. I chose the shortest book. Um, one, of the small, actually, one of the smallest books of the Old Testament. And then throughout the year, we may dive into some other books. But we're not going to leave. We're not going to go dive into Isaiah right now. We're going to go to the book of Ruth. One of the most beautiful books of the Old Testament. And in that study of the next six weeks, I hope to invite us all into the beauty of God's inspired word through the Old Testament. So we're going to begin together. If you have your Bibles, um, we're going to begin together in verse 1. But can I invite you this week to go away and read the book of Ruth? It's four chapters long. And I know in your busy schedule, four chapters sounds a lot. It's like 12 and a half minutes. <laughs> right? It's 12 and a half minutes. And in fact, we're going to read the whole of the first chapter now. So I'm helping you. It's only going to be seven and a half minutes to read chapters 2 to 4. Okay? So... We're going to begin in Ruth chapter 1. 
In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. After they went to Moab and lived there, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, when Naomi heard in Moab, that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, look, go back, each of you, go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. Now may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, look, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, no, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, Your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was rather determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, which actually means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Because the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabat, her daughter-in-law. Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. I love it so much. This is going to be awesome. 
Not this sermon. I'm just saying Ruth is going to be awesome. The scene opens in a terrible time. It's a terrible time for Israel. Two things straight away in the opening sentence of this beautifully composed short book tell the reader straight away, this is a terrible time. It says straight away that this is a time when the judges ruled and there was famine. When the judges ruled was a season in the history of Israel when there was no king, but there was a series of other judges who stepped in in the absence of a king to rule. And the story of that is the book of Judges. And if you know the book of Judges, you know it's chaos. The nation of Israel is distraught. They're in rebellion. And in fact, there's a refrain going through the book of Judges that summarizes why it's all chaos and why there's immorality everywhere, why it's just destruction everywhere. There's this phrase that keeps on being repeated, which is this, and, and they did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Everyone's just doing their own thing, trying to survive in their own, their own understanding. It was chaos. And not only was it chaos, but now a famine had come. That Elimelech was thinking, how on earth am I going to feed my family? How on earth, where do I, what do I do with this situation? I've got two sons. I've got this wife, Naomi. What do I do? Our country's in a mess, and now we're in utter famine. Where is God in the midst of this? And this is ultimately what the book of Ruth is all about. This is why the book of Ruth was written for this audience at this time, to show us how in the ordinary, challenging, mundane disappointments and struggles of life, how on earth God is weaving his story through all of it. We enter into this tragedy and the author's going, have you ever faced similar struggles? Have you, do you resonate with this family where you're going, hang on a minute, God, where are you? We didn't expect things to be like this. Where are you in the midst of these challenges, these disappointments? And the book of Ruth invites us into this story, invites us to go, we will face times in the Christian journey where we find ourselves like Elimelech and Naomi. And the whole book of Ruth is written to help shape us. How do we see God weaving his hand through the challenges and disappointments and the famines that we face. What we see straight away is that in the midst of this challenge, in the midst of this famine, in the midst of this disappointment that the author is putting before us, you generally have two options. That when you're facing relational challenges, when you're facing disappointments with God, when you're, when you're facing unanswered prayers, when, when you're facing circumstances you didn't expect as a Christian, you've got two options, the way of Elimelech or the way of Naomi. The way of Elimelech or the way of Naomi. You see, the way of Elimelech was tragic. It says straight away that Here's a man in the midst of this famine, in the midst of Jerusalem, in the midst of when the judges ruled, that here was a man from Bethlehem, and we expect 
Bethlehem, people from Bethlehem, we think, oh, well, that's kind of, he should be kind of pressing into God, right? He should be the one who's first in the splash zone down the front going, God, come on, and leading the prayer and leading kingdom comes and come on, rousing the troops to call on God to rescue them from these circumstances. But the shocking thing is, we see that this man does the very opposite. It says, a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, a reader at this time is realizing this is not just a guy going, we need to travel to get some food, because they could have traveled anywhere. They went to Moab. This is not desperation. This is defection. This is going to the arch enemies of the people of God. This is going, you know what, God? I've had enough of you. I've had enough. I don't trust you anymore. I'm getting out of here. And I'm going to the place of our enemies. And this author repeats that this man is called Elimelech, which means my God is king. It's just like the irony of this guy who's supposed to be an upstanding figure of the community, a man of faith and leadership, goes, you know what, I'm out. I'm out. Come on, kids. Come on, Naomi. We're out. I just can't do it anymore. We're going to Moab. And he turns his back on God. So much so, we see that he then goes to Moab, and he renames his sons with Moabite names. Milion and Kilion are not Jewish names. I mean, he has totally rejected God. So disturbed with the circumstances that the way of Elimelech was to step away. We don't know what it was in the interior world of Elimelech that said, you know what, I'm out. That these circumstances landed in a place where he went, I just can't do it anymore. Could have been, I don't know, some family of origin stuff of performance and trying to be a good dad and he's realizing, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm a failure, I can't take care of my sons, I can't feed my family. And he's praying in unanswered prayers and it's just like, I'm out. There's food over there. I'm going to take things into my own hands. We don't know what it was. It could be that he was disappointed with God, that he was set up to fail, which many people are with false expectations that, hang on a minute, I thought following God meant I wouldn't endure any suffering. I thought the whole point of this was Jesus is to rescue me from suffering and why am I here? Hang on a minute, why did my marriage breakup. Why did I get the career that I thought that God had said I'd get? Why didn't I get the finances? Why did my business? It's like, hang on a minute. God, you have not delivered. Maybe that's why Elimelech left. We don't know, but what we do know is that he left. The way of Elimelech was the way of countless others before and countless others afterwards to go, you know what? I just don't trust God anymore. I just don't trust he's going to come through. I'm going to take things back into my own hands. I know what he's like. I don't know about you, but I've been there. I remember growing up in the church 
And I had such a phenomenal experience of Jesus through my teenage years. It was almost like having a front row seat to God pouring out his presence. I remember being in church and seeing just amazing, miraculous things happen. I mean, verifiable. And I was like going, gosh, I've got to test this. And it was true. I remember thinking, this is amazing. This is like, oh, I'm never going to leave Jesus. This is, I'm in. I'm in forever. And I remember going to college and I was like running ministries at college. I was kind of running um, the event. I was running the Christian Union, as it was called. I was, I was so passionate. But then something happened at college and church, which was so tragic and disappointing. And it just something happened that part me, part others. And whatever it was, it just landed in a place that I got so hurt. I got so disappointed with God. I thought, you've let me down so much after all I've done. I went out on a limb for you, God. And look where I am. And I went the way of Elimelech. I stepped away. And I stepped away and I went to London and started my career. Lived the life I thought, you know what? I'm going to believe what people say. I don't need God. And in fact, he let me down. Can't stand the church. Bunch of hypocrites. Can't stand pastors. So controlling, insecure people who can't do anything else with their lives. <laughs> and I lived the life of London. And that's a different conversation. <laughs> but I know what it's like to get to circumstances where you go, I don't think I can stay. But of course, what happened to me is exactly what happened to Elimelech. We think the answer is, you know what? I don't trust you. You're not, you're not coming through. I actually think this is a better way. And Elimelech goes, come on, kids, we're off. There's food over there. We won't be hungry. Forget this. We're turning our back on this. I'm going to give you new names. And let's go. We're out. And they are feasting. And they're not hungry anymore physically. But slowly, death creeps into their lives. And what we see with Adam and Eve in that great story of rebellion in the early seasons of humanity is played out through the rest of humanity with people like Elimelech and people like me. That short-term temporary relief, this is going to be better for me, I'm going to take things into my own hands, this feels so much better. It's that temporary relief soon turns to a slow diminishing and a slow dying. I mean, Elimelech actually died and his two sons, the very opposite of what he was most afraid of. When I was in London, I didn't physically die, as you can tell. <laughs> but I did wake up after a couple of years and go, I'm less of a person without God. I'm diminishing in my soul without him. And I could tell that though I wasn't physically dead, I was slowly dying on the inside. It's that truth all the way. 
That the way of Elimelech may look good in the short term, but it catches up to you eventually. And it leads to death. Cut your life off from the source of life. Cut your life off from the source of love. Cut your life off from the source of relationship with a God who loves you. And you may not feel it straight away, but slowly, one little step at a time, and you end up in Moab, and you end up slowly dying. You may be here this morning. You go, you know what? I came to LA so on fire for Jesus. But it's just, it hasn't worked out. You know what? And I kind of gave up. Didn't come through. And I went the way of Elimelech. And it's not what I thought it would be. The book of Ruth puts out very clearly this is the way of Elimelech, the way of stepping away from God. But it also shows us another way, the way of Naomi. The way of stepping toward God. You see, Naomi was in an equally tragic position. Even worse, actually, because now she's in a foreign land. She's lost her husband, lost her sons, which is her financial future, with two daughters-in-law who are tied to this foreign land, and she's going, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I don't know which way to go. Where is God in the midst of these trials? Where is God in the midst of these disappointments? And yet, the fascinating thing is if we fast forward, which you'll do this week after seven and a half minutes of reading, you'll see at the very end something dramatically has happened to Naomi. That something has happened where she's in a foreign land, destitute, alone, and within seven and a half minutes of reading... Her famine has turned to harvest, her poverty to prosperity, her barrenness to birth, her grief to joy, to being, from being a foreigner to being back in the family. See, something Naomi did in her bitterness, in her pain, invited the purposes of God into her life that meant that whatever challenging trial and suffering she was facing and I would suggest we face the way of Naomi stepping back to God allowed him to transform her world. You see we know that this is what the author is driving at here because 11 times in this first chapter there's a repetitive word which is part of how we understand what the author is trying to get at. We don't just read anything into it. We go what is the author trying to tell us? And 11 times he uses the Hebrew word for turn, to return. And he's, while Elimelech is turning away from God. The refrain constantly is turning back to God, turning back to God. And Naomi, in her bitterness, in her anger, in her confusion, she did one thing, one thing that she could do is recognize, I know the way of Elimelech is a dead end. I know the way of stepping away from God just looks good to begin with, but leads to even more suffering. So I don't have all the answers. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm still hurt. But I'm going to take a step back to God. 
I'm going to take a step back. And see what happens. The way of Elimelech turning away in suffering, in disappointment. And the way of Naomi going, I'm still disappointed. I still don't get it. But I know that way will make it worse. So I'm going to sum up all the only courage I have. And I'm going to go back. What we see over the next three chapters is the power of you taking a step back. The glorious thing, what we'll see over the next few chapters, is God looks at Naomi and sees the way of Elimelech, but looks at Naomi and she just takes this little step back and suddenly he starts through her choice, through her faith. She, he's, we see that God pours into her life redemption and restoration and it's not the life that she expected, it's not the life that she was hoping for, but it's a life that God says, I will restore, I will renew and just trust me, in seven and a half minutes you'll be full of joy. She turned to God and he met her in that little turn. I love the fact that Naomi turned and she turned to God in such a way that it was pretty ugly, I've got to be honest. It wasn't one of those triumphant turns to God. You know, I get so annoyed sometimes when I read the New Testament I get so annoyed, I've got to be really honest. I look at, say, the Apostle Paul, and I go, dude, I just don't connect with you because here you are in the challenges of life, and you go, all things work together for the good. I go, oh, shut up, Paul. <laughs> and he's in prison, and he's like, I'm being tortured, I'm being like, you know, crucified in prison. This is awful. And he's going, but you know, we were singing hymns to God. I go, shut up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like he's missed expectations and he's having a tough time and Paul just writes, but I know, you know, I've learned to be content in every situation. I go, oh, you're so annoying. <laughs> I just don't connect. And I think that's why the full, I mean, he's right, of course. It's me, not him. But what I love about the Old Testament is sometimes I don't feel like Paul. I feel like Naomi. Again, I'm stepping back to God, but I really don't like him right now. <laughs> I'm really angry. I'm not coming back with those cheesy, you know, God is good all the time, all the time God is good. You know? I'm actually coming back really angry. So much so, you know what? I'm changing my name to Bitter. It's like, what? You know, she comes back, her name meant pleasant, and then she comes back and her friends say, Naomi? She goes, nope, bitter. <laughs> you know, I love the Old Testament, it's like real. It's like we can be real. It's like sometimes the only thing we can do is not turn our frown upside down, it's just show up and go, well, I'm here. <laughs> That's all I can do. Because the only thing I know is the way of Elimelech leads to death. 
I don't know about this way, but I'm not going that way. So my heart's not right yet, but I put one foot in front of the other and I'm showing up. I'm here. I've been like that. After a couple of years of roaming the streets of London, doing London stuff, I remember. (laughs) I hated church. I hated pastors. And I remember, I'm never going to church again. But I knew this was not going well. I was diminishing on the inside. I had all the the trappings of the money, the career, but I was diminishing and I knew and I was angry. I knew that it was because I was disconnected from God. And I was angry. But you know what? I had a friend called Wes who said, come to church with me. No. Mate, it's a safe place. No, it's not. There are Christians there. (laughs) Well, just come. I went, no. Well, come to church. There's good-looking girls there. Oh, okay. And I remember, I walked in angry. I walked in really cantankerous. I remember, I used to, I'm not sitting down here with all these weirdo, splash-zoned, keen Christians at the front. I'm going to sit right at the back. I'm not, not stereotyping you guys on the balcony, right? But I said, I'm going to write the back. I don't want anybody to talk to me. I don't want any cheesy smiles of God loves you. I don't want any hugs. I don't like being here. But I knew that way leads to death. I'm just going to take one step. I'm going to take one step. It was ugly. But in my life and in Naomi's life, I've learned one thing about faith and taking that step. It's not the amount of our faith that matters, but it's the direction of our faith that matters. It's not the quality of our faith that matters, but it's the quality of the one in whom we put our faith. That's why Jesus says, look, all I'm looking for is a mustard seed. And if you just give me a mustard seed, just give me your five loaves and two fish. You can be bitter, you can be angry, I can take it. I know what it's like to suffer. Jesus has been there. But just turn your face to me and I'll take you. I won't take away the sufferings of life They will do eventually, but I will join you in them. And if you just turn to me and trust me, do what you can. Don't worry about what you can't do. Just do what you can. One step at the time, just show up. Just let me work with your showing up. And believe me, trust me, I will infuse that little step. I will infuse that ugly step. And I will infuse it with my life. And I'll breathe new life back into you. It may not be where you thought you'd be. It may not have fulfilled the expectations when you wrote your 10-year plan when you were 19 and moving to LA. But I can guarantee you this. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. 
Naomi took that step. As you begin this new year, which way are you turning? We've always got disappointments with God. Disappointments that things aren't working out. Jesus said, we're in a broken world. You will face opposition. You will face tragedy. But are you going to turn away? Or in your frustration, in your confusion, in your hurt, are you going to choose the way of Naomi and give me an opportunity to come in and be your redeemer? To bring my life of restoration? To bring hope? You see, God doesn't barge his way into your life but all he will do is wait for a little crack to burst in. As we end, I'm reminded of this story of how God's strength and power in our lives and how his goodness and how his mercy comes into our lives through our little efforts to turn to him. It takes me back to a story when my wife and I lived in Vancouver, Canada. We had two girls at the time. We didn't have our son yet, Amy and Naomi. And Amy was only three, and I was about to mow the lawn. And we lived in kind of Vancouver, where it was illegal and immoral and evil to use a gas-powered lawnmower or, or an electric one. And so it was all about muscle power. So you had to have, in our neighborhood, you had to have a, a literal, a physical rotary lawnmower, which weighed about 400 pounds. And I remember the grass was slightly long, and I had to go, oh, I've got to go out, and it was hot outside. I had to go out and mow the lawn. So I was gearing up to do it, and then I heard a little request from my three-year-old little daughter in her pink onesie, hey dad can I mow the lawn with you you know like any good dad I went no <laughs> it's going to take too long I hate this you know, you're going to get in the way you know and it's going to take four hours if you help um, I didn't really say that but that was what was going on in my head and I knew you know I'm getting into trouble if I say no I'll probably scar her for life so I went okay alright come on let's do this and so she came outside and there's no way with that obstacle of mowing the lawn with this 400 pound lawnmower that she could move it. No way. And sometimes you're looking at challenges going, I don't know how to overcome this. I don't know. There's nothing I can do to cause my own breakthrough. But I said to Amy, look, I know this is, looks daunting, right? So, but you want to mow the lawn with me, so great. Hop on up. And so um, I said, stand on my feet. Stand on my feet and kind of reach up to the handlebars. Reach up to this bar. And I said, look, I'm gonna put my hands over your hands and we're gonna do this together. And I said, look, I can feel your hands, right? And she's looking at me with a fuzzy hair and pink onesie. Like, mm. And I go, okay, when you push, I'll push. But if you stop, I'll stop because I'm going to limit my power to do this together. And so I said, okay, Dad. And then beneath my hands, I felt her little three-year-old hands clench. 
and a little t- push. And behind her push came all of my strength and we pushed the lawnmower together. And all of a sudden she stopped and I stopped. I said, we're gonna do this together. And so she pushed again. And when she pushed, I pushed. And after about three weeks, we went back inside. (laughs) And she ran inside and said, Mama, Mama, we mowed the lawn together. And I go, yes, we did. Yes, we did. See, that's God's sovereign power and love, limiting himself to working with your little step. I'm confused, I can't move this, I don't know where you are, God, but I'm not going the way of Elimelech. I'm going to hang on to the handlebars, and I'm going to trust you that as I still am with you, as I make one step, I don't, can't do the whole thing, I don't know if I can even open my Bible, but you know what, I can do one thing, I can do this, and I'm going to trust you as I do this, you're going to come through. And many of you right now need to go, you know what? I don't know how we're going to overcome our marriage pain, but we're going to get into therapy together. That's the one thing we can do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got so many doubts in my faith, but you know, I don't know. It all seems mysterious. I don't know where God is, but you know, I can do one thing. I can, I can show up to Alpha and see what God does. You know, I'm alone. I don't know where God is. I, I can go, I'm really struggling. I wish people were with me. You know, I don't, I'm going to show up to the Women's Bible Study. I'm going to go there. We all face these issues. And God, through the way of Naomi, just says, give me your show up. Give me your show up. And we'll go on a journey together. And at the end of that chapter, if you remember, it said Naomi arrived back in Jerusalem just as the harvest was about to begin. If you give me your show up, we're going to find a harvest together. It may not be the harvest you thought, but it's going to be a good harvest. Let's stand together. I love you to close your eyes. Our prayer team are going to come here now. And I think for some of you, I so empathize with you. You may be here going, yeah, I've almost lost everything, but I'm here. And I want to say, well done. Well done. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. And this year, Lord, this year, As we begin this year together, we say we're going to show up. We're going to turn our face to you. We know the death of the way of Elimelech. And though I don't know what you're going to do and how you're going to help me through this, I turn to you. I turn to you. So as we worship now, let this worship be your turning to him. We have our prayer team down here. Come for prayer. Come and declare, I need, I want someone to stand with me that I'm, you know, Ruth, be my Ruth. Stand with me because I'm turning to God. It's hard. I'm confused. But I, I refuse to go the way of Elimelech. I'm turning to God.
Let's worship together. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.